The masses of men live with their backs against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. What does our religion say to them? The issue is not what it counsels them to do for others, whose need may be greater, but what religion offers to meet their own needs. The search for an answer to this question is perhaps the most important religious quest of modern life. So writes um, Howard Thurman, the theologian and mystic back in 1949 in the opening chapter of his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, which our care group is reading on Wednesday nights and whose spirit I'm drawing from in this message. It's said that Martin Luther King used to carry a copy of his book around with him at all times. And it's a short book, but it packs a really powerful punch and it is just as relevant today as it was 70 years ago. And it's painful uh, to read in a way that um, surgery is painful. It exposes the cancer in our society, in the human way that we relate to each other in broken ways so that it can be dealt with and the hope of healing can finally begin. So in Isaiah 61, uh, the prophet Isaiah writes, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And again, in Luke 4, you might remember Jesus um, stood up in the synagogue and he read this passage from the school of Isaiah as a sort of mission statement about who he was and why he had come. And so if, if this is true, that this is the reason why Jesus came, what does our religion say to the poor, the disinherited, and the dispossessed? So what's striking to me about Thurman's work is how his focus is not primarily on how to change the systems of our world and what needs to happen externally, as important as that work is, but rather how the message of Jesus focuses on, as he says, the urgency of a radical change in the inner attitude, the inward center of the heart where a person's destiny is determined in the face of overwhelming forces of fear and deception and hatred. What is that like? What would that be like to live with your back against the wall? Not to have moments or experiences or even seasons that make you feel like you have your back against the wall, but to actually have your back against the wall, pervasively, relentlessly, with no end in sight. You know, imagine what that would feel like where there's nowhere to go, nowhere to hide, where you're unable to move, paralyzed and frozen, helpless, and at the, for, at the mercy of forces that are much bigger than you that have power to commit senseless violence against you and to take your life for no reason at all. There are millions of people around the world and in our own country who live that way always. And what would that do to one's inward center? emotionally, psychologically, relationally, spiritually. So in Isaiah 40, uh, 21 to 31, our Old Testament reading for today, we see that the Israelites knew what that felt like. They knew what it felt like to have their backs against the wall. The people of Israel had been captured by the Babylonians. They'd been ripped from their homes, families torn apart, and they were suffering 
deeply in their captivity. Often when we read scripture, we tend to project whatever it is that we're going through in the moment onto the text, which is very natural for us to do. But we have to consider the context of the original hearers to whom these words were spoken. The situation that the Israelites were facing was far more akin to Africans being kidnapped and sold into slavery or Native Americans having their land stolen from them, like people who were devastated in every way by these bigger, deadly, and powerful forces. Can you imagine how you might have felt? Well, verse 27 sums up how the Israelites in captivity were feeling. So Isaiah writes, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. I mean, that's a a valid complaint. Like if you were supposedly God's chosen people, and you were inheritors of the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now you found yourself as a captive, as captives to Babylon, with your backs against the wall, you might feel this way, and you might question the nature of God and who he is, his power. My way is hidden from the Lord. What you hear in that you say is like, God doesn't see me, or maybe he can't see me. His vision is limited. His reach is limited. Also his love. My right is disregarded by my God. And that's a, that's a legal image there. It's like saying my case keeps on getting dismissed An injustice has been done against me, and I keep coming to the judge to plead my case so I can get justice finally, and he keeps on dismissing it. So Israel's saying, God doesn't see, and God doesn't care. And then the rest of Isaiah is essentially the Lord's response to Israel's very valid complaint. And it starts in verse 21, where he says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. So think of the president of the United States, the leader of the free world and the commander in chief, the most powerful army in the world. The president could conceivably unleash a nuclear bomb and wreak unimaginable suffering and destruction on an entire country. You know, one decision can impact the stock market and completely set the global economy haywire. You think about the rulers of China or Europe Um, Russia, in the Middle East. Think about the the tech gods of Facebook and Google and Amazon and and Twitter. The Lord looks on these quote-unquote rulers of the earth and he says, grasshoppers. They're like grasshoppers. And sure, they may rule countries and entire industries that take up millions of square miles on planet Earth or on the internet. But you know what? 
planet Earth is just a tiny speck in the galaxy, which is just a tiny speck in the universe. And who knows what beyond that, the heavens, the universe, the galaxies, all that it contains. Isaiah is saying it's, this, it's like the God's house. And it's this picture of almost like domesticity. You know, where he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and it's this image of like a housewife just pulling the curtain back on her window, except that it's the entire universe. And he says, lift up your eyes. Who created all of this? Like the Babylonians who held them in captivity, they would worship the stars like gods. And they felt that in the stars was wisdom and their destinies were held there. And Isaiah says, who, he who brings out the starry host and numbers them, calling them my name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, and not one of them is missing. And he's saying these, these great and awesome stars in the universe, that God calls them by name, just like a sheep, a shepherd calling his sheep by name, like Fluffy or Snowball, you know, just such affection in his creation and care, but in right relationship, not worshiping the stars, but creating the stars and calling them by name. And that is a picture of power, but it is power that's inextricably bound up in love. And so Jesus says in Matthew, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. How is the religion of Jesus good news for those who have their backs against the wall? It begins with this basic message that you matter. You matter to the God who sustains all of creation with his powerful word, who calls each of the stars by name, this God who loves you so fully, completely, and comprehensively, comprehensively that he even counts the number of hairs on your head. Thurman writes, this idea that God is mindful of the individual is of tremendous import in dealing with fear as a disease. It has to do with a basic self-estimate, a profound sense of belonging, of counting. The awareness of being a child of God tends to stabilize the ego and results in a new courage, fearlessness, and power. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord you can also say those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And that word strengthens comes from the same word as bone. 
And the idea there is of having strong bones, this inner skeletal structure of stability and durability that supports you and, and holds you up. And you feel your weakness, you feel your powerlessness. But that same awesome power that upholds the universe upholds you too. And you find the inner resources that do not fail in the face of forces that are much more powerful than you. And when we place our hope in the Lord, and when we put our confidence in his power and in his love, that's when our strength is renewed. It literally means keeps putting on fresh strength. That's what that word means. Keeps putting on fresh strength. It's new manna for the new day. And so this morning, where do you need fresh strength, hope, and courage? I'm going to end with um, this story from um, Thurman. Um, and uh, just bear with me because it's a little bit of a lengthy passage. Um, but he's talking about a profound experience he had when he was a very small child. I'm seeing Haley's comet enter the solar system. And this is what he writes. He says, one night... I was awakened by my mother, who told me to dress quickly and come with her out into the backyard to see the comet. I shall never forget it if I live forever. My mother stood with me, her hand resting on my shoulder, while I, in utter speechless awe, beheld the spectacle with its fan of light spreading across the heavens. The silence was like that of absolute motion. Finally, after what seemed to me an interminable time interval, I found my speech. With bated breath, I said, what will happen to us if that comet falls out of the sky? My mother's silence was so long that I looked from the comet to her face and there I beheld in her countenance that I had seen only once before when I came into her room and found her in prayer. When she spoke, she said, nothing will happen to us, Howard. God will take care of us. O oh, simple-hearted mother of mine, in one glorious moment you put your heart on the ultimate affirmation of the human spirit. Many things I have seen since that night. Times without number, I have learned that life is hard, as hard as crucible steel. But as the years have unfolded, the magnetic power of my mother's glowing words has come back again and again, beating out its rhythmic chant in my own spirit. Here are the faith and awareness that overcome fear and transform it into the power to strive, to achieve, and not to yield. Let us pray. God, we look to you as the one who created the universe with a single word, who spoke, let there be light, and there was light, who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and calls each of the stars by name, 
There is no power like yours, no might like yours, no strength like yours, and thankfully no love like yours that holds it all together. And God, we pray for our world. We pray for those with their backs against the wall. We pray for ourselves. And God, we pray, would you help us to hope in you, God, as we see this powerful God and this loving God who has not forgotten us, but that actually counts every hair on our head. And how much more value are we to you, God, than even the birds and the flowers you care for so fully and completely. And so God, strengthen us, God. Give us hope, give us courage, give us fresh fearlessness and strength, God, for what we face today and in the days to come. And God, all of this we ask through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.